0: ora team, and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. My name is Noel Willoff and on today's episode, I'm joined by Mahesh. Really enjoyed this conversation with Mahesh, who has a pretty impressive CV and track record helping different businesses and startups and entrepreneurs scale. Just not just in New Zealand, but right around the world. Mahesh was also the head of people at Canva and their twenty fifth employee. Fast forward to today, Canva is evaluated at over twenty five billion US dollars. He's also dipped his toes into the political spectrum, running for the National Party in Auckland Central and coming up second in a highly contested campaign to Chloe Swarbrick of the Greens Party. Okay, and before we get into today's episode, I've actually got some really exciting news that I want to share with everybody listening right now. As some of you may know, I've been building and growing the platform of Beyond the Surface for the good part of about two years now. From what started off as a bit of a bit of a dream and an idea, sort of pre-COVID, has now grown into what the show is today and having access to some of new zealand's biggest names and some really inspirational individuals which i'm so grateful to share this platform with at the start of 2024 i set out a challenge for beyond the surface to build out different brand partnerships with organizations who are aligned to the co-puppet of beyond the surface want to see the show grow and reach more ears and can also provide value and benefits to all of the listeners of the show as well so in saying that, I'm really stoked to announce that Beyond the Surface is partnering with Moana Road as our first official sponsor of the Beyond the Surface podcast. Moana Road hails from Porerua just like us. They're a local business with a global impact and the original wooden arm Sonny's company. They have something for everyone, whether you need a stylish pair of sunglasses, a trending new bag, or some home decor to spruce up your space, Moana Road has everything that you need and more. By supporting Moana Road, you're not only treating yourself to quality products, but also helping us to bring you more of the guests and content that you love on the show. I'm really stoked about this one. I've been wearing Moana Road sunnies for the good part of probably five years now. You also might remember on episode 18, we actually had the founder of Moana Road, Paul Ballantyne, join the podcast to talk about his journey into business, uh, some of the lessons along the way with scaling Moana Road, and some of the obstacles that he's had to overcome. It's definitely worth checking out. So if you haven't already, please go check out their website where they have a full range of their products at MoanaRoad.co.nz. There's also a link below in the description of this episode. Check out their goods, show your support for both the podcast and this awesome Porerua-based brand. As always, I hugely appreciate all of the support team and all of the feedback after each episode means the world. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode number 33. Cool. Mahish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Kia ora. Thanks for jumping on. Um, I was really keen to start off this podcast and this episode around where you found your why, because you're somebody who has had a whole range of different experiences from right across the world, worked in some of the biggest tech companies on on the planet now, um, and have a really key role in helping uh New startups, startups, and entrepreneurs, I guess, find their why as well. So, I wanted to sort of flip that question onto your head. And was there a moment, and when was that moment when you first discovered your why? What a great way to kick this off! I I really appreciate that. Um, I haven't really
1: thought about it too much, like when I got it, but I've always had a very deep sense of my why. So, in Indian scripture, uh, you there's a i i read up i I grew up reading a lot of um comic books mm-hmm. and like these Indian mythological comic books and they talk a lot about um what 's your purpose in life right so this is Im- imagine this there's so many Indian kids from the age of like three to four till they're twenty they 're reading all these comic books which are constantly like questioning your why mm. so then so I got brought up in that and I got my my dad told me When I was really young I asked him Hey Why'd you have me? Right It's a big question Yeah I mean it's a fair question yeah. Right Like you, you know you're, you're going through All <laughs> kinds of stuff as a kid And you're like Hey What's the point here man? And um, he said Your job is to Is to make the world Better than I've left it mm. And that was so clear Right um, Outside of that I saw kids who looked like me Break rocks for a living Whenever I went back to India mm. And my mom made sure That I understood gratitude So I'm always I always know that There are so many people Who are worse off than I am mm. So then that gives me a grounding In regards to You have a responsibility To You're so lucky for what you have mm. So your duty Is to make things better For all of those people Who don't get, have the same opportunities as you mm. So
0: that's, that's lovely, man And that's such a massive question Off the cuff of the podcast But yeah. what an amazing uh, response there v- Very similar, I think When I think and reflect back When I was a young fella And I remember One of the first times My mum got me to collect up All of the old toys Which yeah. I never used Yeah, And I think it was around gratitude as well She was, you know mm. She made me give out A whole bunch of toys mm. That I still loved Even though I didn't play with them And I think we dropped them off to the Salvation Army. And that sort of just made me realize, oh shit, like you really check your own sort of privilege in that space and to realize that other five-year-old boys in New Zealand don't have uh, the Spider-Man action figure that I have and don't get any toys for things like Christmas as well. So, yeah, what a, what a crucial work, uh, role that our parents play um, throughout those times. Yeah,
1: it's, it's one of the biggest gifts I think parents and mentors can give mm. uh, children and youth growing up is that framework around gratitude mm. because it becomes such a source of energy, battery around, okay, I, I'm doing it tough right now. But, man, some other people are doing it harder, and you know what it is it, it is you don't actually want to be in their position mm. right because you, there's an empathetic connection to another human being, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I got like
0: I gotta step up mm. because then hopefully that helps somebody else step up as well mm. so totally and going back um, into your story as well, so you were born in India, you were raised in Singapore, and then I read that you moved to New Zealand by yourself at the age of 14. That's right. How does that work as a 14-year-old going <laughs> to New Zealand all by himself? So, so my parents moved to, uh, to
1: Singapore in 1982. I yep. was two years old. Childhood in Singapore. During the Lee Kuan New Year's, phenomenal leader, made a 60K, 40K little island which was a swampland into the highest capita per square meter in the world now. Incredible leader. So I grew up, my childhood was there. But Singapore is, can be a bit claustrophobic mm. because it's got nothing other than human capital. So rules have to be followed, et cetera. So when the Ministry of Education, in New Zealand, came over to Singapore to do like a high school road show, my parents went for it, I went for it. And I went to and I'm checking out all these pamphlets, and these pamphlets are full of like bright lush grass and kids playing footy. And there's like second 11s and third 11s. What, what's going True. on here? <laughs> and, and, you know, as a 14 year old, you see pictures of like pretty girls and you're like, hey, this sounds really good. Paradox. Yeah, I know, exactly. So, and my, the Napier Boys High School said, hey, do you want a scholarship and come mm-hmm. over? And my dad said, yes. And I'm not kidding. It took me less than an hour to go, yeah. I'm doing this. Let's go. Far
0: out. Yeah. Easy. And, easy decision. And what happens when you first come into New Zealand as well? Are you are you in like a boarding school arrangement? Do you <laughs> yeah, have any yeah. family here?
1: Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, oh. I don't. I don't. I don't. So my parents, my dad came. Um, well, we came. They came, checked it out. Yeah. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, and then um, there was a uh, Fiji Indian family who is a teacher in Napier Boys High School, Mahindra Prasad, Sarla Prasad. And, um, and they said, hey, we'd... Love to have him homestay And I think my parents Probably felt comfortable That hey There was somebody With, from, with mm-hmm. an Asian background True. As well yep. and, um, and he's in school Premises So I I stayed um, I stayed in I stayed, in, um, I stayed with them mm-hmm. But man The first two weeks As a 14 year old Coming straight Straight into sixth form In Napier Boys High School Very different from Singapore I remember In the first two weeks Walking around Picking up New Zealand vernacular Yeah and going, am I a bogan? I don't understand. <laughs> like everyone's here what is this?
0: <laughs> so yeah, steep learning curve. I bet, yeah. totally. No, you've definitely got some weird slang that yeah, just yeah. doesn't really make sense. I remember I first met a whole bunch of Canadians and I said the term sweet ass. Yeah. And they were like... <laughs> Finish a sentence, dude yeah, Sweet yeah. as what? Sweet as sugar? I was like, it's just sweet as And then you really think about it You're like, what are we even saying? Oh, everybody's got it, right? So we've got our own stuff, so Yeah, it's yeah. super interesting yeah. Um, And so then you uh, undertake So you finish your uh, high school at Napier Boys um, And then you go and study Was it at Auckland? Yeah, University, University of Auckland Yeah my, my
1: best year of my life Favourite year of my life First year University of Auckland or Hall of Residence Um, It used to be the place where supposedly all the smart kids went to Mm -hmm. But now I I, I hear it's a bit more of a party uh, Hall of Residence And I remember I I hadn't drunk much beer Second week (laughs) uh, First week uh, All week And we had a sculling competition Yeah. And it was Guinness And um, so I open-throated And everyone's cheering me on And then like, literally two minutes later I'm throwing up on the side Oh, no Yeah, good times, man Wake up in a bathroom somewhere Yeah, yeah, yeah Good times First... um, that first year of university To date I feel is My favourite year Of my whole life mm, Like true. it just is an O'Rourke Hall Hall of Residence um, Just Explosion of freedom mm. You know Different ideas being to people Making mates mm. oh, It was just It was just so good
0: Yeah And um, After your studies You head over to Robert Walters To recruitment in Tokyo As a 24 year old Which is um, that is a massive opportunity for someone who's 24 to be based overseas um, in a place like Tokyo. Uh, when did you first start to get the bug of, I guess, entrepreneurship? Because you've had that, I guess, after college, or so after university, you've had a bit more of like sort of corporate background. Mm-hmm. When did you get that bite to have a look into entrepreneurship? Great question. Um, I think I've always been entrepreneurial mm.
1: because you started off this interview asking me my why. I'm somebody who needs to do things that are purposeful. I don't. Mm. I, I just i i don't operate well with standard stuff. I need to know why I'm doing it. Mm. Um, so I think the corporate sector is good. I mean, Robert Walters a sales environment, recruitment sales. So at least it was clear. Targets are clear. Yep. But invariably, I got to a point where I. Invariably I got to a point where I think especially when the global financial crisis hit mm. I was 30 years old And it, it wrecked me I've been on fire I've I've been divorced A whole bunch of different things But the global financial crisis was the single biggest thing that affected my whole life Because mm. when that happened I felt society went Hey, we don't really need you mm. You know, because I, I, I got um, made redundant at which point I, re- I did the MBA And learnt about How the world worked And an economy worked So I was like Okay I need to go Deliver core value mm. Like I need to Like as Like you're delivering Core value Right like you're, you're Doing something For a customer base And you're making Something from ground zero mm. And at, when you do that You have an opportunity To feel even more secure mm. Even more sovereign In a way um, So and you have a customer you speak to You can solve problems So I think that's when it It's always been there But when the GFC happened It really I was like hey, What am I doing here? Like mm. what's the point of all of this? Right? Mm.
0: Um, so that's when the entrepreneurial stick Really took off mm, True Yeah, it's so interesting eh? It's almost like In a way Society's like reflecting a mirror And a harsh mirror And also What society values As a meaningful job as well You know what I mean? So there's, there's groundskeepers And toilet cleaners and you know service workers and without them we don't have a functioning society and um i think especially for some of those roles where you're playing like an intermediary around sales and placing people into certain positions so you have kind of had this existential crisis around like what is the value that i can provide as a human hundred percent i remember so clearly thinking
1: maybe i need to start busking mm. right this is at 30 right like like what am I doing here Like what Like there's a doctor out there Healing people yeah. What? What? What is my connection to society mm. um, So I, I And I'm very thankful That I addressed that question mm. um, Head on
0: And because of where I've landed And the experiences that I've picked up mm. So what's the next step after Having that realization That you know You need to almost develop In a way a new skill Or pave a new pathway for you to Succeed in you know in terms of a really harsh way to put it.
1: Yeah, you 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 put yourself out there, right? You go you. So it was it was, it was when startups were becoming a thing, right? And and this is uh, this is important to me. The technical definition of a startup is something that aims to grow five percent week on week, right? Right, because you make a love product. You put it on the internet, bang, cost of Mm. distribution next to zero, it goes berserk, right? But the key to what I just said is that love product. Nearly very few startup founders build a loved product. They have ideas and notions, but they don't like really get the problem, customer problem. Anyway, I think I was like, okay, let's let's go. And I remember those first few days, right? Like, ooh, can I do this? Mm. And then you start like playing around with the idea. Then you put up a website and you have no clue what you're doing but you just start doing more and more and more and you start believing some of your own like, BS and you're like, okay, I can go do this, right? Which is important. It's mm. really important. Um, and, and, then, and I wasn't successful with my own startup, mm. but then I was fortunate to be invited by the Canva crew to be one of the first leaders. Mm. And, and, and very few people get to be inside that kind of black box yeah. and see the blitz scale growth of, yeah. of like an incredibly
0: powerful tech business. That is an, yeah, what a crazy story. Just the growth of Canva recently evaluated at $39 billion. It's um, absolutely incredible. So where did, where did your relationship with Canva first start? Um,
1: I was hustling in Sydney. This is like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, the Sydney startup scene was nascent. Mm-hmm. Um, I became a little bit famous for how hard I hustled, like to get Uber, who had just launched Sydney, onto our platform. All I could afford was small three-piece packet Tim Tams. <laughs> so I took those Tim Tams that I, that I had like, and every day went to the Uber office and left them uh, like a little sales pitch and a Tim Tam set.
0: Like written in the note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know you could get three yeah. like, you, Tim Tams yeah, in a packet. Yeah, you
1: can. You can. I mean, when you're on Perfect budget, size. you find yeah. these things. Yeah, right. And then uh, at the end of the week, the Uber country manager just called me and said, who are you? What do you want? Fine, we'll use your product. Just don't come here again. Something like that, right? <laughs> anyway, people started hearing about how hard I was hustling, right? And um, and then I and then the Canva founders heard about it, and I would actually pitched my product to them. And Cliff, who's a multi multi billionaire now, um, I think he saw someone who was hungry, who was mm. keen, and just wanted to make a difference, uh, and he said, "Come on board." Mm. And I mean, he, he, he put me through my paces and then I came on board and that's, that's actually how, and I was number 25 and now the company's like 4,000 people. That is crazy. It is.
0: And when you first, like, where was Canva when you first joined them? Like where were they strategically in figuring out their product?
1: Yeah, great. They, I think they already had product market fit, which yep. is the key term for something that's going nuts. Uh, but they were worth about 20 mil. True. So still, you know, early days, um, It's really important to share this. Mel, when I met Melanie Perkins, she was 23. Mm. She started on this journey when she was 18, Mm. right? There was an original business called Fusion Books, which was designed for high school yearbooks. So she had spent five years on the customer and the problem on how to design things online, even those yearbooks. And in that five years of penance, she had built up a really deep understanding of the customer, the problem, a vision. So my success and so many other people's success is built on the penance and servitude she put in mm. in regards to the clarity of the customer. Um, and, and I remember, man, like I, remember, like I have big ideas sometimes and I'm, we're 20 people in a small room and she has a whiteboard and she starts drawing like buildings mm. and like a campus. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, this is going to be the Canva campus. We're twenty people, and there's going to be a building which uh, is just for Canva f- Con for Web, Canva for Print, Canva for T-shirts, Canva. And I'm like, holy cow! Like you're thinking so big. Mm. And today, at a billion dollars in the bank and two billion dollars in revenue, I'm like, you can do whatever you want,
0: right? It's super like those. It's almost like Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers. Mm. If you've seen, if you've seen that. But what does What do you think are those like star traits or qualities within, it's Melanie, right? Yeah. Within Melanie's personality or leadership style that has taken her to where she is today? Like what makes her stand out against Joe Bloggs and other tech sort of startup? Great question. So a few things.
1: Uh, You know your personal why, and I'm not talking about your company's why right? Your personal why. Mm. Like Mel wants to make a huge difference in the world. She feels that the world isn't right in a certain way. So she wants to create value through charities, through hospitals and all of that, right? And Canva offers an opportunity for her to accrue a certain amount of value and which is why they donated, I think like sixteen billion billion two two years ago, mm. right? And so when I have a conversation with a Kiwi founder, I ask them, what is your personal why? Mm. Because you can actually accrue a lot of capital and power and whatever. And then you can go build schools. You can go give back to your iwi. You can, you can do so much. Mm. What is that personal glitch right inside of you? Mm. So ha- having that story is important because that's the thing which carries you through. That's number one. Number two is customer obsession. You've got to be obsessed about a customer and a problem. You've got to speak, do hundreds, 200s, of. Thousand interviews Right Mm. And really And not sell a product But listen to their story They have to become Your people Like you know And when an investor Or someone else Asks you a question You get to a point Where you go No 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 This is my people Mm. These are my customers I know my customers Mm. And then you form A view of the market You do those things Like a lot of people Talk about how you need money Early on No Do the time Mm, mm. Like go Because that's actually Where value seeds mm. The value Starts In the question Of How are you doing
0: Yeah, yeah How yeah, yeah, are yeah.
1: you What's going on And someone gives you An answer mm. And then Oh okay So that, so value's starting To get created Now if you Keep asking that Many many times A thesis starts to form Oh I get your problems mm. Like it's not my idea Of what you're saying I'm actually listening To you
0: mm. so- I love that And I just find it so interesting around individuals who decide to take that leap to start up something, whether, you know, it's a business or to do something sort of against the grain. And I feel like that's what I'm trying to sort of shine a bit more of a spotlight spotlight on through the platform we have at uh, Beyond the Surface on the podcast. Um, within, within Canva as well, did you find, because obviously in the startup world, there's a big... Uh, a big culture on the grind, right? It's really long hours. You're kind of building the airplane while you're, while you're flying it. What was your relationship like with burnouts, I guess, as you're working with these tech startups? So,
1: so it's interesting, right? So there's an opinion,
0: and I'm not, I'm not super
1: sophisticated on this, but there's an opinion that you suffer burnout, especially when you don't enjoy what you're doing, mm. when you don't feel like you're winning. But if you're in flow and if you're in rhythm, you just keep going, true, because you're like mentally stimulated. You're in a good place. You're going right. So this is my opinion. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not super sophisticated on this. That burnout especially happens if you're pushing so hard, but you're not winning as well. Right. Not getting. Not getting those gains. Correct. The right. The results. You're not getting yeah. past the line. So then there's two things you need to do there, right? Do you need to play a different game? Mm. Do you need to change the game? And do you need to ease back? So both of those things And I think the bigger piece Is are you playing the right game? Mm. Right what, what, what do you need to change? Maybe you don't understand What's happening around you And you're pushing against something But you actually need to do it a bit differently mm. For you to start winning mm. right? In my opinion The single most important thing For a happy company and a great culture I get asked Because I was the first head of people at Canva Is you got to win mm. Every family Every fan out, Every group Everyone's got issues Everybody's got stuff You put a bunch of people together They got stuff But if you're winning Everything's easier
0: Because mm. you're all heading in a good direction You feel safe You feel secure You feel like you're growing That's true That's true Yeah totally I never really thought of it like that And I'm just thinking on the times Where I felt burnt out And it is your stress, you're probably not making the sort of progress you're wanting to. Um, yeah, that makes that makes really good sense. I guess there's also with like founders and business owners, you have to have this sense of uh, vulnerability mm. and awareness around when <laughs> things aren't necessarily going right. So, I'd be really keen to to hear your experience from working with different founders, especially in the context of New Zealand. What has been some, what are some of those common mistakes that Kiwi founders make in relation to scaling their business? Yeah, so they don't think through their why.
1: They don't realize that, you know, they have to hit the US pretty fast. If you're B2B, like mm. a business startup, you got to go pretty fast. Um, and you, New Zealand could do better, and it's what phase one did, of building communities, mm. right? Because it's lonely, it's hard, um, and you feel like nobody gets you Nobody understands What what are you doing for work Oh well I'm like Doing this thing Oh What's that And then you feel like Oh am I getting Being judged And you don't get the gains Early on Mm. Right So like nobody gets you But if you have A community Of founders And entrepreneurs Kind of pushing that makes a huge difference Straight away mm. Right You feel less lonely You feel uh, uh, you, you feel sorted The other thing Museum founders need to know And again I'm very thankful For the phase one founders um, You can go big mm. Go big Do Do Do, what it, what, do you, can, you can You can change the world You try Like I'm a I'm a I'm a Kiwi Went to Napier Boys And University of Auckland And I was in a room with twenty people, 20 twenty million, and and recently it was valued at forty bill. Crazy, right? It's it's my story. I, like I like when I go and lecture in University of Auckland, I go, I was right there, mm. right? Mm. So I'm no different to you. Mm. Um, one other thing is, by the way, building a unicorn or a billion dollar business is not cool. Doing what you really want is cool, mm. right? The size doesn't make a big difference, but you can build a $10 million business. You can build a $100 million business. Like, I respect all entrepreneurs. Like, mm. the guy running the dairy store, everybody. Like, you're taking a punt yeah. On your, by yourself, mm. for yourself, for your family.
0: Good on you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's super. it's super important. I think I heard a presentation that you did, and I think your phrase was, like, pick your game or something. Mm. And you specified, like, you can launch something big in the New Zealand context, but... There's so many limitations, which I think, which are innately Kiwi around the sort of barriers that we put ourselves on. And I think that comes down to almost how we like to speak about our successes as well. We've got a culture of, if you say, yeah, cool, I'm launching this new startup. This is what we're going to do. We're going to try and solve the world. You do get judged. You know, people, people frown upon that. People almost want to pull you down because they wish they probably had the confidence to say that, but for whatever reason, they're confronted by the perception of others. So how have you seen, I guess, different Kiwis navigate the complexity of tall poppy syndrome?
1: Yeah, and thanks for bringing this up. And I've thought a lot about this. I I trust the world. Mm. I trust human beings. So then when I think about why is this happening, I think we... Are proud about the fact that we don't like to see inequity. Mm. Kiwis don't like inequity. Kiwis kind of want everybody to have equal access. Um, like we want people to be some like same. That's really important to us, and it makes sense. We were two islands, flush with resources. North and south. North and south. Simple right. Names. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and 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 we were just like. We had this opportunity of building this incredible egalitarian society, mm. right? So that's that's somewhere deep down inside that's our, our core. So I can see why then if someone, like, creates tension by stretching that, like, seeming to stretch that inequity, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But we're supposed to be all the same, like, you know, the plumber, the CEO goes for a beer. We're all equal. You know, it's yeah, part true. of our core, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, – we're, we're, the, the other side of that coin is We're playing a global game
0: mm.
1: Right mm. We, it's, it's, it's our country And we need to create value And if we don't push We get left behind mm. And as a country We need to get that mm. And we are not at the levels We need to be So the thing I tell founders Is go hang out with other people that are pushing True. Yeah, just just hang, like you are the five or eight people you hang out with, mm. right? So go find, if you don't do that, you are putting a hard limiter mm. on yourself And do, do whatever you want, but let's make the decision conscious
0: mm. Right? Mm. In terms of like mental health as well for um, different Kiwi founders I'd love to get your take on, I guess, how we could best support Entrepreneurs and, and business owners. I read a uh, statistic recently that over 72% of overseas founders felt like running a startup had negatively impacted their mental health. And 37% reported feelings of anxiety, 36% had experienced burnout, and 13% had depression. So we've got like a bit of an epidemic when it comes to the mental health crisis. That word probably get thrown around too much, but especially within f- uh, founders who feel very isolated. I think as well You know A tragic sort of story and example to bring up Is probably the one Of uh, Jake Miller From yep. um, Unfiltered yep. Um And I guess The circumstances That you, you know Led Led him To feel the way That he did And eventually um, End up taking His own life And I just I just wonder What else Can be done Because There is that Acceptance to the grind And sort of Burnout And It is almost accepted in a weird way um, because you've got to do the work to get it done. But do you have any learnings from the work that you've had with founders through mentorship around how you can prioritize your well-being? Sure. I don't think the grind's the issue, right? It's when
1: founders in New Zealand are trying to play a global game, but they don't really understand that they're playing a global game then they don't have mentors or other people who've played that global game. Yeah, right. So suddenly there's tension around, oh, you should do this. But wait, you can go do this. It, so it's like someone an NPC suddenly playing um, super rugby. True. Right? And, and suddenly you have an NPC coach, right, trying to, and this guy's playing super rugby. And he's like, no, no, do this, do that, do this, right? And you're playing a different game. So we need, we've got so many Kiwis who've done scale, who've done great things. In San Fran here, we've got some great mm. VCs who are, who are pushing. So we need to understand that if these founders are playing a global game, then you need to have a risk profile from a global perspective. So that's one thing, right? Getting the right mentors and advisors around. A lot of people with the best of intentions, but if you haven't seen the, that actual thing, mm. then it's tricky, right, mm. some of the advice. So that's one. Two, don't jump on founders, don't jump on early stage founders. Like, it's lonely. Just don't, just don't, Mm. right? Everybody's got a story inside. They're hustling. They might be doing something a bit wrong, but as a country, when an entrepreneur is like trying and doing things that are hard, your extra opinion on that in the public eye doesn't, Really create much benefit mm. What you can do Which I was I really appreciated That the startup community In New Zealand um, uh, uh, Reacted When Jake is Okay Just check in Does this person have Good people around them Yeah Right And that's important mm. Right Make sure That you have But Jumping on to something Like mm. Honestly man like We're five million people Yeah We need winners Yeah Like So
0: Yeah no, I think, I think it's a really good take And yeah, just thought I'd bring up that example with, um, with Jack Miller because mm. he, he was always exceptionally kind to me. And I remember looking up to him as like a 16, 17-year-old and this young guy living quite a high life on Instagram. And mm. I think at the time I was running a um, small like social enterprise that I'd done throughout high school where I'd create T-shirts and sell those T-shirts and all the profits would be distributed to young parents mm. so they could attend leadership development opportunities. And I remember sending him just, like, a random email one day. I was like, I would have been, like, 17, 18. And he replied. He was like, yeah, man, come on. Um, let's catch up. Let's catch up for that's lunch. awesome. And he, like, he had his co-founder there. He had one of his, like, business partners. I was like, this is just crazy. You know, there's a individual that's four or five years older than me, and he's living in Australia, interviewed Sir Richard Branson. And um, I just thought he was very generous with his time. And I think that's what's so awesome about yourself too Mahesh is your ability to give back to others mm. through and you're telling me before the podcast started that um through your work you give so much pro bono services to different organizations across the country different startups and um organizations who are trying to grapple with their why and their mm. mission and mm. their next steps mm. so yeah what what pushes you to keep to keep supporting I guess this ecosystem around entrepreneurship uh, so,
1: it's actually really simple. I love this country. Like, I, I, I love this country so much. we got a
0: pretty good, don't we? Yeah, 100%, it man. Like,
1: it's so good. It's like, we are so lucky. Like, New Zealand is a young country which has access to a level of moral conscience mm-hmm. because of our youth and, you know, our history. Um, and also... Amazing resources Like we, we have We have an amazing story to tell mm. Over the next 25, 50, 70, 100 years um, And I, I just And I, I was so lucky To come here when I was 14 yeah. And have all the opportunities I had I, Like I said That first year of Rock When, you know Freedom exploded <laughs> And even like playing You know, like in Singapore You didn't have a second eleven. True So I started off In Napier Boys In Second Eleven True and In my second week I was the lead actor In my school musical In Naper Boys Like things I I, I never would have Had the opportunity for mm. So Yeah So the thing That keeps me going Is I am Desperate To see New Zealand Even happier And fulfill That story mm. That we have In our heads And we can mm. And so it's not I can make part of the change Obviously I I ran for The the election last year Mm. But it's these Founders It's you The people who are actually Creating value You're the guys Right You're the role models For the next group Mm. Right So Helping you guys Be successful Passing on some of the lessons Yeah It's
0: awesome Do you think we In society Like value Entrepreneurs enough
1: No I don't think so
0: Um
1: I, you know, the interesting thing is because most people aren't entrepreneurs. Like, they don't know what it's like. I wasn't, right? Until I was 30. Mm, right. and, and then you actually have to go do stuff, hire people, fire people, balance sheet, have tough conversations. You're like, holy cow. And I remember maybe the same thing was for you. Initially, you're like, how do you do all of this stuff? And then you do it and you take the risk, mm. right? You're willing to take a risk, which is huge And I have to say New Zealand has a rich history Of entrepreneurship Our farmers mm. They're entrepreneurs Yeah right? totally Yeah So so we've got that um, I, I think we've Kind of lost it a little bit We just need to We, we need to build it up again
0: mm. Totally Yeah I feel like As well Like post-COVID I think COVID Was a massive wake up call For everyone right Like To spend eight to 12 plus months. It seems like such a fever dream even thinking back on it, but yeah. where you're locked away, unable to do what you want in terms of like the freedom and the ability you had to just live a normal life and catch up with people and do X, Y, and Z. I, f- I feel like we're pro- like I'll be interested to hear your take. Have, we, have you experienced a lot more people coming out of COVID and be like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to bloody start this business idea that I've always had since I've been, Twelve or eleven, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, you're right. I have, but it's also because of how countries around the world dealt with it financially. Mm. Like countries everywhere just pumped money. Yeah, like just just created money, right? So this this the market was artificially induced mm. in regards to you can go and do stuff. Mm. And I actually am concerned a little bit for a lot of the the young ones coming out in high school and uni because like, first of all, they didn't have as much support as possible, but then there was, there seemed like there was a lot of money and value lying around. Mm. So it's really confusing. You want a young person, just as I experienced in the GFC to engage and understand how the world works and how the market works mm. As quickly as possible Because then Once they understand Then they can Okay Thanks for letting me know I understand it Oh I can make the best use of it Right mm. And I feel COVID kind of suspended A lot of that Truth mm. True And and I see A lot of young ones You're like Oh you haven't really like Got how everything works yet And if you don't You're gonna get hurt mm. Right And that concerns me But I, I trust. Generally, things kind of work out.
0: Yeah, totally. And when was the pivotal moment for you to, I guess, enter the realm of politics as well, Mehich? <laughs> like that is for for someone that works in the um, fast moving, fast paced sort of startup land to then tailor your efforts to you know working across bureaucracy and systems. A lot more slow moving. But I'd love to understand. Yeah, when did the Catalyst for that decision
1: start. So I decided twenty years ago that I was going to come back home and serve the country. Wow. And so this is this 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 is I was going to do this like so long ago, and when I met my wife, uh, I think twelve years ago. Okay, I am going to get a shout for out for that. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, <laughs> shout out, shout out, Pravina. Uh But um, I told her on our second date, she's Australian, that I that I was going to come back home and run for parliament, and she didn't believe me. Right. Uh, or, uh, she didn't take it for
0: real Just another one of your massive crazy ideas Yeah, 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 exactly Whatever.
1: She's like, <laughs> y- 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 you're, you're trying to like, you know, impress me or something And then, and then years <laughs> in, like five, six years in I'm like, hey, so probably going to head back to New Zealand soon And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I told you on our second date That I'm going to come back um, And fortunately, she's, she's now in New Zealand So this was, I'm very clear that this was going to be my path mm. And I, I, it was important for me To have a level of success in the private sector Basically learn some stuff yep. And know some stuff yep. I don't like Going into situations Feeling like I don't really understand Everything So now I understand a lot of things still a mm. lot to learn mm. um, So once I got a level of success I was like okay Time to go mm.
0: And what is that process For the majority of people listening Including myself Who will most likely Never have that experience Of saying that you want to You know Stand for a political party And run for parliament um, What does that process Actually look like Like how do you How do you start so What's the first conversation You have to Get yourself onto that path Well great question The first thing you got to decide
1: Is which party you're going to stand up Yeah it's probably or, a good right, start It's a good start right <laughs> So you And I, I, I really took my time went through the values, went yeah. through the history, and and it was a little bit of a surprise to some of my friends, but I, I very easily connected to the values of the National Party. So, okay, great. Okay, uh, Mainly around the fact that the National Party decentralizes and wants to give away power. It wants to trust communities. It wants to trust individuals. It doesn't want to centralize. It wants to give away, but at the same time understands that you know you need to support um, to a certain level, right? So that that's, that's where I was comfortable with. And then I still remember, man, like walking three years ago when I came back home, walking into a national party event, I didn't know anybody, right? But I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I need to learn all this stuff. And I was fortunate. One of, one of my friends from O'Rock, Cameron Brown was there. And I was like, oh my God, Cam, you're here. And I, I like, I was right next to him for the whole, like this National Party thing. So you get to know people, you get to understand the party, you get to understand, okay, what's an electorate, how does this work, Mm -hmm. what's an exec? You understand all the systems, it takes a while. Um, And then uh, the party had a very solid candidate uh, recruitment process. Mm -hmm. Like you had to go through, you spent like a year through candidate training. Yeah, what does it look like for? Can can you speak on that? Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, uh, You get uh, obviously the values. Um, You know, what are expectations as an MP? Uh, What are the different challenges? You have uh, senior leaders come and talk to you about some of their challenges, um, expectations. Um, uh, We talk about New Zealand's history, uh, our history, and... You're obviously being because it's a hardcore job, mm. right? So there's a. I think that I, I this I don't know, but I assume there's a consistent level assessment going on, mm. right? And there's like hundreds of hundreds of people put their name in. Yeah, true. So you go through this, um, you go through this training program, candidates college yep. is what it's called, and it was, it was done really well, mm, right? Because it's a complicated thing. It was done really well, and then you need to get signed off by the board through multiple interview processes, right? And then after that. Um, you uh, then you need to put your hand up for an electorate, right? And you know a um, and, and ho- home is Auckland Central for mm-hmm. me, so I got through all of that, put my hand up,
0: and then you contest it against a few other people, and that's hectic. That must be crazy, yeah. And you're up against the the beast in the stardom of um, Chloe Swarbrick, yeah. who's a bit of a celeb up yeah. in um, up in Auckland. Yeah. So, yeah, where do you start with running a campaign, especially? I guess running a campaign against somebody <laughs> of such a high profile like like Chloe? Um it didn't make a difference to me.
1: It's home. Right. And I've done everything that's authentic to mm. me, you know. So then I can be quite sure footed about who I am, you know. So I um I I yeah. So I mean I know Queen Street and I know uh, I was speaking I was speaking to a senior party member, uh, a senior MP, and I was saying, hey, you know, home for me is 3 a.m. on K Road. <laughs> and they didn't quite get it. So, oh, yeah, we can do coffee sometime. I was like, no. Like, that's like Queen Street, K Road. Um, that whole area in the city means yep. the world to me. True. So, I was going to put my hand up. And then I also, you know, given my startup background, you trust the customer, right? So, you just go. Mm. You go, meet the community, and you hang. And, mm. I think, I think I we did a great job. I was incredibly lucky with an amazing support team, and the party did an amazing job supporting us. Um, but the volunteers—I mean, I had some serious imposter syndrome as mm. I put my hand up. Mm. Right, like, who's this guy? This immigrant, this young immigrant. Mm. Now he's putting his hand up for leadership. Are people gonna like? Is that okay? You know? Um, and I remember being quite honest about that to some. Some, some older people yeah. And they're like Hey man like We have problems and challenges I need you to help fix them Right, right So get over yourself yeah, yeah, And yeah. get on with things yeah. um, and, uh, and then you just throw yourself Right I knocked on like close to I don't know Like 11,000 doors or something Far out Yeah And It's, it's like cold calling Yeah exactly <laughs> Right Go speak to the customer Totally um, And I understand Auckland Central Auckland, New Zealand A lot more um, But ways to go
0: yeah, I can't even imagine how hectic of a time that would be running a campaign because you'd be working seven days out of the week for for months on end. Um, I've always wondered as well with the other candidates that you're running against. Do you, are you guys like what's the relationship when the cameras and the screens aren't on? Are you guys cordial? Are you uh, have a good relationship? Do you talk or is it strictly business?
1: No, we talk. Um yeah, I, I remember sharing a few jokes with Chloe at the beginning. Um, but I was new to politics, right? And you can, over time, you can see the strain of like baggage, right? Like, you know, because you, you get pissed off with people, you get pissed off with some other party, gets pissed off at what this party's doing. So I can see how that initial sort of idealism yep. starts to wean away yeah. because you get hurt, right? And, and and through the campaign, because you don't get to hang with these people. Well, and I, and I can't speak for the beehive, right? Like I assume there's an opportunity mm. for comradeship to form again. But after a while, you're like, mm, okay, I'm not so sure if I agree with what you're doing and I'm not so sure. So then a little bit of a distance forms. Mm. Um, but I res- you respect anybody who puts their hand up.
0: Totally. 100%. Right?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, good on you. Put your hand up. This is how our system works. This is how we grow and get better. Democracy is so important, and you really appreciate it. Mm. So I really appreciate that.
0: And what have you found to be some of the synergies within the business and startup realm and the overlap within the public service? So here's something
1: really interesting. So building a great product is very similar to doing great policy, right? Right. So I, when I came back home, I, I did a post in public policy as well just to warm up to a brand new world. And as they were in like, this class, they were, um, they were taking me through what great policy looks like. And they were like, oh, you have to be data-oriented and you need to speak to the customer and you, you scope it to a smaller level and test it at a smaller level and then you scale it slowly and then you look at benchmarks overseas and mm-hmm. see why that works. I'm watching going, wait, that's exactly how you build a great product. And I've never seen... Great product is still an unknown thing in startup land. How do you build? And I was like, wait, this is like decades, maybe hundreds of years of work that's been put into how do you do great policy? And that's exactly how you build a great product, Mm. right? You have the customer at the center of it all Mm. and you test it small, right? You do unscalable things to solve a problem and you be very... Outcome-driven, mm. right? As opposed to your own ideas and ideology and things like that. So, mm. so that, that's that's actually a very strong correlation. So, that seeing that that made me quite confident about. Okay, oh, yeah, I get this. I, I get this. Like different, slightly different language, slightly different vocabulary, but now I can compare the systems because mm. I've I've worked in a in a, in a sphere where. Building great product and scaling it was critical. Mm. Okay, so this is just a different type of product. Mm. Like it's a policy product, right? We're supposed to engage customers, deliver ROI, all of this stuff.
0: Mm. That's a really interesting point. I think that really gets diluted in the public sector as well. I remember before the job I'm at at the moment, I was working in the public sector and just feeling so disconnected from the people who were ultimately there to serve, you know what I mean? Like you'd be running an intervention from the glory towers of Wellington, you know what I mean? And you just never have real life experiences with the people that would be on the other ends of not just policy, but yeah, different interventions and programs. So that was something I really, I really kind of struggled with when I was working in in the public sector. And I think what what we hear a lot, you know, is that The sort of law on averages doesn't work Like through different policy settings The way in which we assume people receive services We expect it all to be the same But really those who are at the receiving end of You know, an employment benefit Or um, you know, different government services and interventions They've got totally different unique drivers and circumstances And different needs as well So this almost like bell curve law of averages just does not fit or serve the customer at the end of the day. And that's something I totally get what you're saying is a lot more applicable in the business sense because you have to have good good data on your customer. You have to understand where their pain points are. Um, But that's something which I feel like is missing a lot in the government.
1: Yeah, you're right. The other thing that's a bit challenging the public sector is in the private sector you can be a lot clearer about compromises. Mm. You can be sorry. You can be a lot clearer about priorities, right? No, we're gonna do this and this. So you're gonna say no to a whole bunch of other things. I think in the public sector it's harder because government's supposed to make everyone happy, right? Like that's the job. Like that's that's the that's the idea. But it's funny, you know, during a camp during an election, you have those um you have those those policy websites where you can, like, hey, do answer these questions, and then you'll see which party you align yeah, with. Yeah, yellow them. What they don't have is a price tag to the policy, mm. right? Because there's only a certain amount of like capital or value. So every time you choose one policy, that means you can't choose something else. And that's the decision, like any entrepreneur, any person right at the top of a gun like you have to make that call mm. right so I, I really hope when the next election comes through that these websites that feature yeah 100 percent. put a dollar figure or roughly how much it's going to cost put how much cash you have in the bank the country has the bank true the, the, you know it's finite it's a good idea actually. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, true and then and then then the whole society gets to make like okay if i make this call then i can't have that
0: yeah the so different trade-offs Yeah There mm. are
1: trade-offs 100% there are trade-offs Right So um, which, which
0: is Which is really mm. tough On politicians Right mm. Like it's really tough um, But yeah mm. And what happens After the election as well So You put up like A really good fight Against Chloe. um What was the percentage Overall um,
1: I dirty- can't remember
0: The percent. Yeah I can't remember the percent, But it was close yeah. It was really close Yeah Yeah like, what What happens after that? Because you put in all of your eggs in one basket yeah. to, you know, make Auckland Central. What are the sort of feelings that happen after? And what are the, like, how are you reassessing yourself in yeah, the situation? Yeah, good question. So somewhere, I think about
1: four-fifths of the way into the campaign, I kind of expected that I wasn't going to get in, right? But, which was, I, I was very stoic about it, mm. So when the result happened, I was really fine. Yeah. Like I I still haven't I mean there have been moments of like sadness, like, oh shucks. But broadly I've been actually really fine. Cause it was an incredible privilege. I learned so much. This is all I've ever wanted to do. Right. I just want to serve my country. Right. And to have the like the first stretch of that, be able to do that, my goodness. Like mm. Living my dream, okay, as, as, as weird as that sounds. Um, man, I was exhausted. 220 days, nonstop, seven days, right a up. spike every day. In startup land, it, like every two weeks, I'm probably got half a day off. This is nonstop. Crazy. I'd wake up after the campaign, I'd wake up at 8 a.m. I'd like knock out at 10 a.m. For like days, like I was just tired, mm. like my brain was tired. And also, I think you know, we talk about that burnout yeah. piece, didn't win, mm, right? If probably won, maybe endorphins would have kicked in. It's really, okay, what's next? Let's go, let's yeah. go to the gym, let's get in shape, let's we gotta <laughs> go, right? So, so then you just kind of sag. Mm. And it took me a good month and a half to just like, okay, like get back, I'm fully back now. That was interesting because I was like, wait am I going to get back? Mm. Like, you know, because the first time I've ever felt this, but, but I'm fine. Um, my goal is to make New Zealand an even happier place. And I do that now, mm. right? Uh, I've, I've got a, um, the founders that I mentor. The portfolio of companies that I have, that, I, that, I, that, that we've mentored is amazing. Mm. I expect like six or seven incredible unicorn businesses to come from it. I've got a fund next to it. I need to raise a bit more money to close out the fund. Mm. I need to do that in the next two months. And after that, I just want to focus on um, Auckland Central, the community. There's a whole range of problems and challenges we have. Um, yeah, just mm. got to get cracking.
0: Mm. Tell us a bit more about your, um, your relationship and your work, working with different founders, um, and also the fund you mentioned as well. That sounds, sounds super interesting.
1: Yeah, so, I, so I, we, don't, we don't give money right we we don't believe that that's what you need as an early stage founder yep. an early stage founder you need guidance you need support you need community you need you know uh, like a place to work out your thesis and mm. how this whole game works mm. so so that's what that's what we did right like i did i speak to so many of them so often um, during the week and i have to start to extract myself a bit because i created phase 1 to have a group of these a large group of these founders pop off, get to a certain level and then trust that once they've reached a certain level that the market forces kick in, that they would know enough, they'd have enough connections mm. so that then they can be the next Melanie Perkins, mm. that they can be the next, you know, whoever, right? Mm. So then they're the role models, right? So that was the goal. I think that chapter is done but I have to admit, I keep still like going back, are you all right? Is everything okay? I just want to make sure you're hitting because this is for New Zealand, mm. right? Um, alongside that we set up a fund um i was my flatmate when i came back home was like hey you're doing all this stuff you should probably invest into them i'm <laughs> like oh okay yeah sure yes. <laughs> so we went about like creating a fund yeah um but we only invest into them when they need money right right when they're at a stage where they've got a th- clear thesis and a, they have a clear understanding um and um and, and so we've raised from GD1, which is one of New Zealand's major investors. We're going to raise another mill um, because there's a lot of economic value that we've created, mm. that we've left on the table. And we have a relationship with these founders. Like I've been there through them, with them through thick and thin. Mm. That We get the right. Like oh, wow. I, I think they will let, let us invest because mm. like we've done so many things for free. Yeah, true. And I have done everything I said. Like I told all of them that I was going to run in three years. So whatever I've said, I've followed through on. Yeah. Right? So there's trust
0: there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the setup. That's awesome. And when you invest into a different company, are you tagging that capital towards a certain component to help them launch or scale? Was is it really um, just sort of broad in terms of where they can spend and use that investment? Oh, yeah.
1: It's up to the founder, man. Okay.
0: It's not like Uh, philanthropic funding where it's like, this is tagged towards wages. No, no, no,
1: no. Like you got to trust an entrepreneur. You know, sometimes people try to work out what's the total addressable market? What's a go-to-market strategy? What's this? Who knows? Mm. You're early on. You're trying to work out a whole bunch of stuff. The founder has to be customer obsessed, problem obsessed. They've got to have a clear understanding of that. They've got to have a clear vision Mm. where they want to get to at the end of the day. And can they showcase a level of grit? Can they showcase a level of like penance to the co- okay. Mm. That's pretty hard as it is, right? To do all of that. Okay. Then you gotta trust, right? Like, you know, like I I'm not gonna make who I don't know where the market's gonna go. I don't know. I have opinions, mm. but they're opinions.
0: Yeah. Right? So So much of it is also like luck as well. Eh? like yes there's the skill and the timing, but I think when it comes to timing as well, there's also so much luck involved. Like, even that again, that book, uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, like, if you look at who those exceptional figures and business tycoons are across the world, like Bill Gates had such a head start because he had accessed one of the first computers in the world because his mum worked at a university. The Beatles got to, you know, really hone their skill because they were able to play at a club that allowed them to do, like, over 14 to 20 gigs every single week. So, like, there's that real... Yeah, I I just think, as well, like, timing, you could have, like, the most perfect business idea. And if you were to launch that, like, it doesn't work right now, but if you were to launch that five years ago or five years in the future, then it could really take off. I think you're right, but... I don't frame it from a luck perspective.
1: I put it from a consistency, Mm. right? I want to do this. I want to change the world. Okay, I'm working on this. I'm committing fully to this um, project. It's not working out. Okay, what's next? Let's commit to the whole next Mm. thing. A lot of people ask me, you're so lucky you found your passion. And I always say, I didn't find my passion. I chose it. This wasn't some sort of passive thing that happened. Yeah. I made an active choice and I failed a lot. Mm. And then I learnt, I got up, tried again, didn't get it right, got up, tried again because I had some sort of end goal in mind. So, okay, get up, let's go. So in the same way, a founder, like sometimes founders tell me, hey, thank you so much. Lucky to have met you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, man, like you knocked on the door, you mm. showed up, mm. right? And, and if you, you would have eventually showed up somewhere at someone's door and got, got the help you wanted if you kept asking, mm. right? So I think if you just keep going yeah. and, it, and not everybody can keep going, you need to be quite, you need to understand what, you need to have an opinion, what your limits are. And work within those, mm. but um, yeah, I yeah, yeah. When
0: people keep going, I think luck starts to come in. Totally, yeah. yeah. And you and you do create your own luck through consistency. Yeah. which is which is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, conscious of time as well. Well, I've got some quick fire questions, sure. but Mahesh, where can people keep in touch with you and your Mahi?
1: Uh I think on my Instagram. Yep. Yeah, Instagram's good. I'm a terrible social media manager uh, marketer, <laughs> uh, and also the Phase One Instagram. Cool. Uh, yep. Hit me up. Ask
0: questions, always keen to to help. Awesome. And we'll chuck some links in the description below, whether you're watching or listening to this episode. Mahesh, what brings you true happiness?
1: Brings me true happiness.
0: Wow. I'll tell
1: you what, dancing. Dancing? Dancing. Makes me happy. A really good game of touch. Nice. Makes me happy. Um... Yeah, just seeing and when I say dancing, it's actually seeing other people happy, and 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 it just I just feel good that okay, I don't have to do anything. Everyone's fine. Um, yeah, I think those two things. Nice,
0: yeah. I love that. Yeah. Just keep it simple, that. Eh? Yeah. Well, something I forgot to mention, I should have brought this up prior to the rapid fire questions, but it just got me thinking, because you mentioned dancing, but I did read somewhere somewhere you won a TV show yeah. in New Zealand, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which was like the New Zealand... Um, Fear Factor. Fear Factor. Wait, we've got to touch on this before we wrap up the podcast. Yeah. What? So, what, what so,
1: so I won Fear Factor
0: like <laughs> 20, 25 years ago. So you can see it actually.
1: You can see <laughs> this, these are the third degree burns. You're joking. These are the third degree burns that I had. From, um, from Them messing up
0: No Yeah
1: I, I won the show The last stunt was me Walking blindfolded In a straight line uh, With minds to distract me Won the show They asked me to retake The final stunt After I'd won the show Without blindfolds I was doing it In a slow way Like I'd done it The first time The guy from the side yelled, go faster So I started going faster I was right on top of my mind The guy detonating the minds Didn't realize I was going faster Bang Fuck My whole upper body Just like lit up Fuck So that's Third degree burns To about 12 to 13% Of my body Oh my god 12, 12% Yeah
0: That's from the Shit man that was, that, that was when I was
1: 23, 22
0: Did they Did you Did you Like do you Sue them Like what happens After <laughs> now,
1: that No I was I, Like and this is also Why Auckland Central Is really important to me Yeah I always feel The place that kept me safe Is Auckland Central mm. Like I couldn't go to sleep at 2, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'd walk the streets of Queen Street streets of Queen Street and K Road. I was all by myself. My family wasn't around me. Didn't have, like, my friends had gone overseas. So it was just me in Auckland. Um, no, didn't sue them. I got a 60K payout.
0: That's not, that's good. Is that yeah, from winning back, the competition?
1: No, 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 sorry. I got a 30K payout. And then I bought a whole bunch of my mates Robbie Williams tickets I don't know why
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing I wish I had mentioned that earlier in the podcast feel like we could have a whole like segment on that That's incredible um, Name who you would most like to have a beer with From both the Greens and Labour <laughs> Wow um, Who would I like to
1: uh, Look uh, Darlene in the Greens uh, She's, she's uh, for Tamaki Makauru Okay. pretty cool I'd, I'd have a drink with Chloe I'd like to chat with her In regards to some Philosophical things um, Labour mm, um, Let me come back to the other one <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired Oh man, no, <laughs> no, no, like, no like, <laughs> Look, I'll have a drink I'm totally Who? Oh, you got to no. name someone Okay, fine um, I I, I, think, I think To be honest I would, I'd, I'd like to I, I wouldn't mind a drink, Chris Hipkins. Right, yeah. like he's been through a lot.
0: Yeah, he's Chiffy.
1: he's yeah. And you know what? I watched Kiri Allen mm. recently uh, doing the interview, mm. and it was very um, open and vulnerable. And she talked so much about her pride in regards to what she was doing, mm. and I really like really respected mm. some of the things she said. Yeah,
0: that's great. Nice. I can't wait for the uh, Instagram photo of you having a beer with uh with Chloe. <laughs> uh, advice you wish you knew about when you were younger?
1: Um, be brave. Right Like Things are gonna be fine Things are gonna be fine Mm. Um And Go Dream big
0: Yeah What does legacy mean to you?
1: Um I think legacy That's a great question Wow Legacy means to me A World class Education system For New Zealand Like The Primo
0: best That's what legacy means to me If you could change one thing in New Zealand What would this be? Oh wow Um I
1: wish our economy was pumping, like our economy was 50% bigger, right? Because we have all of these dreams and we want to do all of this stuff and have a world-class health system, we need our economy pumping. Hmm. So that's one thing. And yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing our journey in regards to our bicultural history.
0: Hmm. And finally, what do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? need to know that there's a big
1: amazing world out there and you're part of the world right like you absolutely are part of that world there's so many opportunities india right now is 1.4 billion people average age of 28 Mm. right that's that's all our young ones right it's exactly the same you're connected to everybody so how do you create value how do you learn about them how do you get to know them Everybody's got different stories.
0: Yeah. Mm, I love that. And we'll finish with a quote from Jim Rohn. If you are not willing to risk the usual, you will have to settle for the ordinary. Mahesh, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. (laughs)